Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Recollection Step, a Grand Archive TCG podcast, part of the Main Deck Podcast family. I'm Dan. And I'm Taylor. Uh, Dan, how were your holidays this year? We just wrapped up Christmas here this week. Uh, you know, they were, they were been pretty chill. Just been hanging out at home quite a bit. Um, in fact, today I'm, I'm dressed very casual, you can see, is because I've had the, the whole week off work. Yeah, um, I've, been, I've been preparing a uh, Mr. Rogers joke all week, and... I have to wait now. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I screwed you <laughs> over on that one. Um, we'll be doing our we'll be doing our end of year podcast tomorrow, and I'll actually dress up a little bit for that. So you can go mm-hmm. ahead and throw it into there instead. That'll be um, that'll be mostly patron only, by the way. In case people are are curious about that, the the patrons are going to get like kind of a big thick episode where we, you know, what we like to do in those is we go kind of we we just kind of go off the rails. We don't care as much about trying to stick to like a strict. amount of time or topic or anything um so we're going to do a lot of that but then also uh, a section of it is going to end up on youtube our end of year awards is a new thing i wanted to try this year so that'll be kind of fun but um so you guys if if you're not a patron you'll still get to see whatever i'm wearing tomorrow but i'm going to make sure it's fairly nice looking so save your joke for that all right we'll do okay awesome and also i want to say i am drinking not water today even wow drinking a a beautiful Sprecher's root beer, which Ooh. this is a uh, made in Wisconsin. It's it's wonderful stuff. Dan is really getting wild. I know. <laughs> Strap in, listeners. <laughs> uh, Taylor, what did, what were we going to chat about again today? You're in charge of this whole show, right? Yeah. So this week, uh, this episode, I wanted to talk more about just kind of like archetypes in general in Grand Archive. So Grand Archive is a game that has definitely like captured my attention, and a lot of that is due to how a lot of the systems in it, to me at least, feel very novel compared to other games I've played. Uh, especially like the resource system and and kind of how you you get value out of cards and what you need to expect out getting out of cards in order to advance your game state. Um, so, for instance, like um, in uh, Magic: The Gathering or other other systems like that, where they have kind of like a land or a mana resource where you get you know one per turn more or less, you kind of get this game progression where. Uh, each turn you're playing a resource and at some point you just don't need to play those resources anymore. And that kind of influences what your, what kind of deck you're playing. If you want to stop committing those resources earlier, you usually have an aggressive deck and you're just throwing cards at the opponent. Or if you want to continue to generate resources, maybe you're playing like a really controlly deck that just wants to control the game and control the board until your opponent can't do anything anymore. And then you can, can finish the game. Um, but in Grand Archive, it's it's very different. You don't really have that kind of building resource system over over the course of the game. Um, so it kind of changes how your aggro decks and your mid-range decks and your control decks play. Um, and so I just wanted to explore those ideas um, a little bit this week as we you know just kind of see what they how they translate in Grand Archive. Maybe maybe compared to other games we've played, maybe not, but just and how we can use those to help. Uh, build our decks and make sure we're focused on the correct game plan. Yeah. You sent that idea over to me and I thought it was a pretty fascinating one. I hadn't really thought about it too much, but um, one thing that I think we both noticed kind of early on into our exploration of the game was uh, that it was weird that <laughs> that it was <laughs> to put it bluntly. The, the weird thing about it is, is that um, in this game in particular, because you use all of the cards in your hand as resources there's this weird dynamic of drawing a card is not just, oh, this is another thing I could play. It's actively ramping your potential to play other things as well, um, which which is all well and good. But then the opposite side of that is where you really start to notice the impact when you go down on cards significantly. Like, for example, you're leveling up or something and you get down, I think... I, I mean, leave a comment down below if you are one of the players who played the game for the first time and the first thing you did was you went, okay, level three sounds good. I'm just going to go level one, two, three on my first three turns. You get to level three, you have two cards in hand and you go, oh, well, I pass, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you're not able to play anything anymore. 
Um, that was certainly my first game. I just like I was like, yeah, level up. And like, OK, yeah. wait, maybe <laughs> that wasn't right. We've all learned that lesson uh, probably the hard way. Yeah, I think my favorite was um, in one of the first games I played with uh, a patron and a longtime like supporter and like kind of behind the scenes supporter. Adam um, joins us on all of our like trips and everything. And he he was doing some of our shipping and stuff for our leagues. Um, Adam and I played some of the first games of Grand Archive together because Adam, by the way, just shout out was a was a Grand Archive stalwart from day one. Mm-hmm. I like I sent him the link and he was like, yep, I'm in. I'm dropping everything. Grand Archive. This is like November of 2022. 2021 i think <laughs> like whatever he was like yeah this is the greatest thing ever i'm totally in so like, nice we played this first game and i think it might actually might have been the second game he went uh playing the starter deck lorraine deck he went turn one dungeon guide to level one. Oh heck yeah we're, and we, we're like i mean yeah both of us were like well let's see what happens i mean mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know maybe that's really sick and it wasn't very <laughs> sick. <laughs> Lost a lot of cards on that deal. Yep, yep. But uh, you don't ever do that again. You you learn your lesson pretty quick with that. Not without it being a very particular deck. And maybe we'll get into some of the mm. the you know some of the details of different decks like that a little later on. Um, but there there are occasional decks where that's like actually not an unreasonable play. Mm. Um, before we get into that, though, I do want to just make sure I get this out of the way. Get get it uh, get it out of the way for anyone who hasn't heard this. This is the this is a little plug that we do in place of having a sponsor um, on our podcast. And if you're listening in Spotify or iTunes, in place of having any ads or anything on our podcast, um, if you're listening on YouTube, sorry, you get this and the ads. That's just <laughs> that's how YouTube works. So uh, sorry about that. But. Um, I just like to mention the ways you can support Main Deck if you do really enjoy our podcast that we put out to you. We're putting out to you podcasts every two weeks for three amazing games. Um, and if you really do enjoy that, you know, go ahead and leave a like on the podcast, comment down below, make sure you subscribe to Main Deck, all that kind of stuff. All that stuff really, really supports us, helps us, um, helps the algorithm, helps all that stuff. It's great. And we also just love to hear from you. I love to read all the comments that we get on our videos, and I try to respond to them when I can. Um, Additionally, the other way you can support Main Deck, if you want to, you know, support us financially without paying anything, that's the really cool thing about it. We have a link to our TCG Player affiliate page down in the description below or in the show notes if you're watching somewhere else. And uh, the affiliate link allows you to just go shop on TCG Player, which of course has access to any singles you want for pretty much any card game. Um, and when you use our link to access it, you're actually going to, when you make your purchase, they're going to send a kickback to us. A uh, small kickback based on whatever you purchase with no additional cost to you. So it's a pretty rad way to help us out. Um, really do appreciate all of your support either way. Uh, you can either click the affiliate link below or that's bit.ly slash shop TCGs is our little short link, bit.ly slash shop TCGs. So thank you guys so much for your support. Now let's get to this main topic, Taylor. And I'm get, by the way, I'm, na- I'm naming this. Everyone's already seen this, but I'm naming this episode Grand Archetypes. Yeah, which good. That's good. I thought, you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of fun. Yep. So tell us about grand archetypes. Yes. So I think before we go any further, uh, it makes sense to kind of define some of these terms we're going to be talking about so that everybody's kind of on the same page and we're all talking about the same thing. Um, so basically, we're going to be talking about three big um, archetypes in trading card games. Uh, in, I mean, this applies to a lot of different things, but specifically trading card games, uh, your three deck archetypes. You got aggro, you have mid range, and you have control. Um, and there's variations of each of those and like people try to throw combo in there and we'll get into that and to what some of those variations mean. But, um, just at the very top, kind of what, when I say aggro, I'm talking about a deck that is very aggressive. It wants to win early and it wants to win quickly. Uh, and it's willing to throw away a lot of like resources to, to do that. Um, it's not like trying to play a long game. It's not, it's not worried about what the opponents can be doing on turn, you know, six, because hopefully the game's over on turn four. Um, they just want to, you know, in this case, reduce life total to, to zero as quickly as possible. Uh, a mid range deck is more often than not trying to outvalue the value of the opponent and just accumulate resources, resource advantages over the course of the game and use that to, uh, translate into a win. Uh, and it's gonna be using really efficient, uh, cards to do that. Um, oftentimes getting like, you know, card advantage off of a lot of its cards that it plays. And then it'll 
it'll end the game uh, hopefully at a reasonable pace. Um, but it's not necessarily like trying to race to the finish as quickly as possible. Like it, it can take some time to get there, but it also is you know a deck that's like a little more flexible. It's got cards that will win the game pretty quickly if they if you let them. Uh, and then your control decks are going to be decks that are looking to kind of maintain control of the game state throughout the game. And then when the game gets to a point where their opponent can't do anything anymore because you have control of the game, then they they play some sort of win condition or finisher uh, to wrap the game up in a short amount of time. Or, I mean, maybe not that short, depending on the deck. Um, so just kind of different like speeds. And um, I think a lot of people have seen uh, at least people that are are pretty versed in TCGs, they've seen kind of like this this archetypical triangle where aggro decks will often beat control decks because they're just they're fast enough where they can't the control deck can't actually establish control before the aggro deck wins. Mid range decks will beat control decks because they have enough interaction, enough early game interaction to uh, stem the bleeding from the aggressive deck. Beat aggro decks. Yes. To, yep. Yes. You said mid-range. control. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, mid-range decks will beat aggro decks because they've yes. got the action, interaction in order to um, stop their assault and then take over the game that way and wrap up. And control decks often will beat mid-range decks because they've got the answers for the cards that are actually threats and they don't necessarily care how many card, how much card advantage or how much how many extra resources the mid-range deck is getting because the mid-range deck just can't break through because they, they gave the control deck too much time to, to get set up. Um, so those are kind of like the main main three and the, the triangle, how that works. And then um, combo is, for the purposes of this, I, I, I'm going to group combo into like all of these different kind of archetypes. Because um, really that's, I think the, the way a lot of these play, the combo is often just a finisher or like how you win the game versus like, um, you know, trying to, to establish certain presence in the game. It's like the the typical aggro mid range control. I think you mentioned this earlier, but it's 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 a speed dial situation, mm-hmm. really. It's like yeah. it's or another way to think of it is what section of the game are your cards oriented towards being good at, right? Yes. Which is that like the aggro decks are just playing the things that are at the like Grand Archive, and that's going to be obviously the reason we're doing the podcast is that Grand Archive is a little different because you have that ability to play almost anything early on, but there are still you know, there's still a there's still a an arc to the game where you get to that level three to unlock advanced element stuff mm-hmm. that, you know, we'll talk about how that all plays into it. But in a lot of TCGs, it's like you'll have lower cost stuff. You think that like that are um, you're playing things that are just like stronger earliest in the game, but you're often playing nothing that matters in the late game. And that is actually, you know, some sometimes still similar in Grand Archive. Mid range is like, you're playing the cards that you have to put a little bit more resources into, but then aggro decks, but you get proportionally more back, right? So you're looking at that sort of like, I'm going to try to win the game. You know, like you said, like they can go faster, they can go slower. It's not really how fast you win the game necessarily, but it's at what stage of the game you're trying to really play your cards in, right? And then control is looking like, you know, just live until I get the highest absolute, the highest possible value on all my plays Usually they have a moment where they turn the game around. They go, okay, suddenly my opponent's struggling to do anything because I've established that, obviously, the control of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and combo combo's so weird because it's like, I think a lot of people, like you said, do try to put it in to one of those, like taking the place in one of those categories, added a, a fourth category. But it's not really about, combo's never really about when you play those specific cards, like what stage of the game, it just, it depends on the combo. Like some combos you can play with, they're very low cost things. You could, hey, you know, turn two, here's my combo, like, right? And then other ones, it's like, it, in any TCG, it's like, I have to be really late into the game to get all this set up, set up and then I do this. So it's, yeah, it's like a, it's a different thing and it could just be a part, I think, of any of those, though less mm-hmm. likely, I would say, an aggro. Usually the aggro combo is like, these two combine to deal damage to you as <laughs> to these two creatures hurt you. Yeah. That's my combo. Yes. Yeah. Quick. Let's just do a quick combo aside and then we can kind of put combo off and, yeah. and worry about it. Not worry about it for the rest of the episode. But here um, I like the, the when reckless conversion was still legal, um, those Rye combo decks, I considered a very aggressive combo deck. They were just kind of throwing resources into leveling to three as quickly as possible. And then they got to level three and then they just won. Um, they didn't really care what their opponent was doing. They didn't care how their opponent was interacting with them. Um, they were just, as soon as they got to level three, they could play a bunch of arcane dispositions, 
play a reckless conversion and then just throw four arcane blasts and some fireballs or something at their opponent for a bunch of damage and happens yeah. turn you know four or so and i think i think that's you know that's a great example of an aggro combo deck and also mm-hmm. a great example of why you don't often see aggro combo decks in tcgs because reckless conversion had to be banned because that was simply too fast mm-hmm. it was too effective um at actually doing that and like but yeah you're right like the the similarity that people should notice is is the sort of one-to-one of like in any typical aggro deck, it's pretty much just faces the place. Like how mm-hmm. how quickly can I deal damage to the opponent? You're almost playing solitary. Like I don't really care. And I don't want to be the person, by the way, who who jumps in. There, there will be absolutely no thoughts from us like saying things like aggro is brain dead or anything like that because it is good aggro players exist. Like there, there is certainly a skill curve to it. But a lot of the time, it's the it's the decision of like how tunnel visioned on my opponent do I need to be? But many games you are just simply quite tunnel visioned, and that's the exact same thing that Rydeck was doing. It's like literally you do whatever you want. The thing people get wrong, by the way, when they play Ry- right away is they they spend a little too much time like pretending they're a burn deck and like trying to shoot fire at their opponent or like killing things on the board that don't matter, and then going down on cards, which. Yep then puts them away from the win, not closer. Um, and yeah, it's, but it's, it's very much like it, the right deck is still often an aggro combo deck. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, it's a little more mid rangey now it's playing some like peaceful reunions and some resolute stands in order to interact with the opponent a little bit and just buy some time yeah. to actually get to uh level three and get the, the cards necessary to, to finish the opponent off. But yeah, it's, it's definitely closer to aggro or on the aggro side of the spectrum. Uh, of mid-range instead of cards like full mid-range or control deck cards like incendiary fractal are mm-hmm. ones where i think like th- when when you start including incendiary fractal in your deck that's the transition point from yes. aggro combo to mid-range combo that's mm-hmm. that's a card that's just like interact with the board and then it ha- it is a, still a card for the purpose of playing things because it's got reservable exactly. that's i mean like if you're looking for a hallmark like am i playing mid-range or aggro do you play incendiary fractal that's the number one question. Yes. Yep. For that. Yeah, and then yeah. your control combo decks are going to be decks that are just like specifically trying to control the game state. And then they've got like a two or three card combo that wins the game uh, once everything's wrapped up and they've had a chance to like just, you know, really shut the opponent down. But um, I think those are often like less, you know, less notable because they feel more like control decks than they do, you know, combo decks because it's. Yeah. The, the game is wrapped up. You're just it doesn't matter what you win with at that point. It's just semantics. It's like you can you can win with a a dumb creature attacking over them, a dumb ally attacking over and over, or you can win through your like three card combo that you have one copy of each in your deck or whatever. But throughout the history of card games, it's those have pretty much always just been control decks that you would call them control decks, and then they win the game somehow. Really, they win the game as soon as they establish control, exactly. and the opponent's like can't do anything just like show me the win <laughs> you know how are you going to beat me yep yes um okay and so again i think we've kind of established here how control is you know part of this these these archetypes in general um so getting down into why it's so weird to kind of figure out what's going on in grand archive um for me at least is just because your resources are so weird um you play your cards from your hand you might throw them away to materialize something but you can play you can play if you're on the play you can play a six drop on turn one um which is just kind of weird if you come from games like magic the gathering or dragon ball super or um even if you've been looking a lot at you know upcoming games like altered where you you have a set number of resources hearthstone even and you get like one per turn um being able to play like these powerful cards on turn one is just for me it just threw me off big time um like you look at a card like honorable vanguard versus veteran soldier um or is it veteran soldier the the, the five drop floating yeah memory? five drop two three yep. with floating memory yeah it's veteran soldier um the you know the same card veteran soldier is just stronger but it also costs more but so at first glance it kind of feels like an aggressive card because it's got better stats you can affect the board more at an earlier state in the game but at the same time, it also like allows you to do less things in the beginning of the game too. Um, so like things like that just really threw me off when I was first trying to figure out how to how to conduct my game plans as I'm building decks. Um, and so 
um, I was reading this thread on the the deck um, the deck list channel in the main Discord for Grand Archive, and Siladar had popped in and talked a lot about how just like throwing a cards away is like what aggro does, and that really kind of finally clicked for me um, about what was going on in in how to kind of like establish your aggro decks. Like you just don't you don't really care how long they're going to stick around. You just need them to do a little bit of damage, and then they can go away. It doesn't matter. And if they stick around longer, it's gravy. Um, so things like Rending Flames, things like Blazing Throw, uh, even allies that have like a lot of large attack and can just go away like Blazing Bowman. These are like premier aggro cards because they're just going to hit for a lot of damage. And they're you're just going to get the one card out of it, and that's it. And then you move on to the next card. The, the, can we talk for a second? Like, I think everybody has a moment of, as you're getting really into the game, either getting into this game, you get this realization of like how, kind of how these archetype works. And I want to just talk about sort of the, the realization of the brilliance of the design of Grand Archive. I think it's, I think it's just like after I, my first few games, I was like, this is a good game. I like this game. My 50th game or something, it was like, is when it was like clicking like, okay, wait, wait, like I, I see this. And actually for me, the true moment was watching, uh, true champion gamings, Cabin's Isaac's Terry's list at Ascent Houston play watching that, that Lorraine, like that was, that was the first time we saw someone like really, we saw people piloting this wind allies thing to obviously to extreme success, but where they had like, it felt like the formula was like cracked finally because i think and we'll talk about this a little bit but i think people were generally playing mid-range decks i mean that's and that's common in a lot mm-hmm. of tcgs just like gravitate towards mid-range because mid-range has juicy cards has fun stuff but when i saw these lists and i realized okay so all they're doing is they're losing a card one or two cards every turn because they're playing one or two allies out mm-hmm. and then the next turn they're drawing one card and then a second card because they're materializing some way to draw a card is like when I, when I, and it was like, it took me th- that for some reason, I don't know why it took me this so long to like really grasp because we, we were playing kind of like mid range decks too. We oh, were yeah. the tri- triple threat deck, big, it's very mid range. That's big a big mid range style, mid range combo deck, by the way. Yeah. Where you're, you're throwing, you're, you're using your resources to get some advantages and then you can win with erupting Rhapsody combo later on. Yep. Exactly. It's good. Very good example of a mid-range combo deck. Um, but when, when I saw this, when I saw them go ally, ally, next turn, draw a bobble, ally, ally, next turn, draw a ring, ally, ally. And I was like, that's it. It's just two in, two out every single turn, hoping one is a Gildas. And then, you know, your second card is either another ally or it's the thing that protects an ally. Mm-hmm. That, and that's literally the whole deck. It's just like, yes. I, I had a couple ways to pump the board too sometimes, but like, um, it's yeah, that, that was like, that was the click moment mm-hmm. for me. Like, it's totally about throwing cards away, but then the key was that was finding ways to just crank that. And so they, they stick on level one. They don't care about going up unless it's like critical for the, the end game, uh, mm-hmm. turning on batter nights or something. Yep. Um, yeah. And that's like, now when I look at a deck and I'm trying to design, an, uh, I'm trying to think about an aggro deck. I like have such, I feel like I have a much better perspective on like what I'm supposed to be focusing on now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm focusing on like how much damage is this going to get me versus like how, how do I get the value out of this hitting the card and or hitting the board and potentially being wiped by another hasty ally next turn. Cause that's, that's another thing too. Since all the allies can come, come in and just attack right away, they can get you a value right away, which is great for, for being aggressive but it makes it more difficult to kind of like take advantage of that from a, a more mid-range or control game plan. Um, Cause you have to have ways to protect them then. Right. Cause otherwise you're just kind of throwing the card away. Right. Um, and, and, and I think the other thing, you know, I think that's like how much damage are my things doing? Mm-hmm. And it's also, how am I not, how am I not losing card advantage while keeping that, that tempo up? Mm-hmm. Um, because the, the way that we always, you know, the way that we always talk about in a lot of these podcasts and, and deck techs and everything, the way you beat aggro decks is to just run them out of steam because they run out of allies eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, the more resilient they are to that, it like it should, it should be fairly obvious and the stronger they are against other typical ways to kind of control them in those, yep. especially in those mid range decks. Yeah. Cause that's the thing too. Like all these, 
these really, really aggressive decks that are just throwing their cards at the board and, and getting damage, they only have two two materializations of extra free cards, right? You've got a Grand Crusader's Ring and you've got an Element Bobble. And then you've got to get a little bit more creative with how you're getting card advantage and turning that into allies from your material deck. Because, um, yeah, I think that's I mean, that's pretty key is like turning your material deck into more allies quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, where was I going with that? Um, it's just like if you can if you can kind of stall those ag- aggressive decks out for like the two or three turns um, that they've got their material deck going, then you're in really good shape because now all of a sudden they're they're drawing essentially one card a turn because their material deck cards after that are not going to be as useful. Like those those cards are where they're kind of trying to find some more of the knee situations to get some sort of advantage that way um, and either push through more damage or recover some you know from something, right? Or stop some sort of prevention. Um. But yeah, again, like that's kind of why like you see a lot of like fire fire aggressive decks in Grand Archive is because a lot of those a lot of those cards are very they've got very low health, but they've got higher attack, so they're gonna hit for a lot right away, and then they're gonna get taken care of, and then you've got to hope you can continue continue on, and that the rest of the cards in your hand have enough damage to to finish your opponent off. We also, I mean, we're seeing now wind and water aggro decks that are mm-hmm. quite effective too. Water water thanks to uh, scepter of lumina which just like as your game plan you know you were you were noting your game plan of just find a way to turn your cards into damage mm-hmm. um that is that is a way to very indirectly but also directly turn your cards into damage because you you're gonna go ahead and, and level up which is normally what you don't do in aggro decks very much but by leveling up you're gonna spend you know it, hopefully floating memories involved in this to some degree so you're gonna spend hopefully fewer than two, hopefully fewer than three cards. Um, and you get four damage each time out of this. It's kind of just like having blazing throws in your hand. A little bit, yeah. Um, I think a lot of these wind and water ally decks that are popping up, especially as we get deeper into the format here and they're playing more interaction, I think those are a lot closer actually to mid-range decks than they are aggro decks. Because uh, oftentimes these are decks are a response to the fire and wind ally decks that are very aggressive. Sure. Um, like they're trying to go over those decks a little bit. Um, and so they're packing more things, um, uh, more tools in order to help. Like they've got reclaims, they've got favorable winds, they've got zephyrs maybe uh, in wind, in water. They've got things like Song of Frost, um, Korhazi Trapper, Lunette. These are all like very mid-rangey cards. Um, it, I'd say it, the line gets a, it gets a little fuzzy. It does, you know, 100%. Um, but these are all cards that are like trying to stop their opponent from doing something versus trying to, you know, just win the game without caring what your opponent does and and we're, we're seeing a spectrum here where like there's you've got like hyper aggro on one side and you've got kind of more uh slower mid-rangey aggro for lack of a better term on the other um and like really i think there's just a huge spectrum in general uh, like the whole the whole kind of archetypes are all just really a spectrum right like um there's not really a clear line in between each each one where you would separate a lot of these decks um a lot of it is just like trying to go over your opponent um to a certain extent until you get you're, you're too high you're too controlling and at which point you've got to go under your opponent and get faster than than them instead um so yeah I, I think a lot of these ally decks are still like very aggressive but they they get more more mid-rangey because they're, they're spending more time interacting with their opponent instead of um instead of actually just like racing but they do think- still have the ability to race like you said because of the scepter of lumina and um just like guilt things like gildas uh, other they're really high value allies. I think there are, you know, like I said, it's a pretty fuzzy line. And I think that your given, let's say any given water Lorraine deck is going to push one way or the other. And it's going to be a little dependent on um, what your game plan, kind of what your game plan is in your deck when you get to level three, more so than necessarily like how many interaction pieces they play, because there's some amount of the metagame that you just simply have to be prepared for. Um, Song of Frost is, is an easy inclusion in those decks because not just, not just because it's like, I'm going to counter rending flames. It's cool that it does. Mm -hmm. Um, but because it's, it's sort of the favorable win spot in the deck also of just like, you're going to try to kill my board with a cleave attack or something. And I'm going to prevent that in in, Mm -hmm. like, in a it's a roundabout way of, but it, but it like acts as an, another ally 
you know, another ally play for the turn if you're using it to keep an ally alive instead. Um, but I, I agree totally that there's like a, there's, it's just this really like fuzzy yeah. area, mm-hmm. but like talking about the, again, we, we talked about it last week, but the, or last episode, but the, the true champion gaming list from Auckland, uh, that two of them played where their goal was to get to three and then put out a sword who cares attack with the sword and then, or maybe even attack, maybe not attack with it. And then spirit blade dispersion just to push, mm. you know, free four damage from hand again. Like it's that deck was, I would say was leaning on the aggro side because it was very much just the only purpose of leveling is to deal four damage. And then the only thing they're doing at level three is playing another card that deals four damage. It's mm-hmm. yeah. Just trying to deal again. It's just like, am I just dealing damage to you? That's kind yeah. of the plan. Yeah, that was a really good one. Like uh, that, it, that those are those are the kind of decks where that where again I just really get kind of confused and I see the line blur between mid range and aggro because you see you see the level three play and you're like oh okay this is you know they're gonna probably spend some amount of time trying to generate advantage to get to level three instead of just right. shooting to level three. Uh, whereas if you see the line to get to three and deal twelve damage with scepter, you're gonna take it, and that's a, that's a very aggressive line. Yeah, it is, and it's like. I think it's very easy to try and just really reduce it down to like what level do you typically go to 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 win the game? It'd be like it'd be super easy if we could just say if you go to level one, you're an aggro deck. If you go to level two, you're mid range. You go to level three, you're control deck. Um, mm. And I mean, I'm not gonna lie, like a percentage of the game that plays out that way. Um, for you know, it's it happens somewhat frequently. I'd say more often, mid range decks still go to three two. But just like how long do they intend to spend on it? Um, but that's a great example of like an innovative, like, no, 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 I think this is pretty on the aggro side, mm-hmm. but despite that, you're tr- actually trying to go to three pretty yep. frequently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause shifting to more, like, like you said, a lot of the mid range decks, like you see them go to level three and that to me, that's really where I draw the, like not draw the line, but that's where I see the shift. Um, a lot of the Merlin decks that pop up to me feel very mid rangey. Like they're, they spend a lot of time trying to get two for ones and just trying to like get incremental advantage over their opponent instead of, you know, not even like they kind of worry about the board, but they still are in a situation where they can race pretty easily too. Um, especially like the fire Merlin decks that are going to play fireball. Um, like they just have a lot of tools to, to help win the, you know, finish the game, close it out. Um, if they see that they are kind of in danger of, of losing a race and not able to, deal with all of their opponent's threats um the way i think oh sorry go ahead no no go ahead well the the way i tend to think about a mid-range deck is um oftentimes because it's so focused on abilities that gain value it's it's one that is willing to do willing to like we mentioned earlier to go under or go over depending on just like what the setup is like. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like talking again about that, the triple threat, <laughs> every, every, I swear, this is just the triple threat podcast. It's too good. It's that deck is top tier. It's fantastic. It was, I mean, it's top tier in my heart, exactly. but it's, a, it's just a wonderful example here because yeah. it, it was a deck that could, if the, if the hand came up, right, if the opportunity presented itself, it could, it, I, it could, and did do turn two kills. It was like, it was a thing that it could do. Mm-hmm. Um, not commonly, but it could do it. Uh, more typically, it was a deck that would go to three, generate a million cards, and then kill that turn or the next turn um, if, at the latest. So it was like definitively not a control deck, but mm. its cards could also play to it. Like I, I won plenty of games from erupting Rhapsodying my opponent's board um, because it it was able to regain that value again mm-hmm. later it's like all these are like should be like if you're wondering how to identify a mid-range deck those should be kind of like the key the the key terms that you need to be are am i trying to regain that value am i trying to you know um shift between going going under the opponent or going over the opponent mm-hmm. um so that's that's kind of what what i what i tend to look for in a deck and like yeah like Merlin, for example, level three Merlin, like you read that card and that card reads as either mid range or control because the mid range component is, uh, I gain, I draw cards. She just, she draws some extra cards, which gives you the gas you need to finish the game. And then the control component is kind of that level things. Like you can totally play a more controlling build because she will win 
eventually where she yeah. gets to level 13 and like your fireballs are just lethal. Yep. Yeah. You see a lot of those like kind of ineb- inevitability um, mechanics in, in control decks where like they've got, if the game goes long enough, they will just end it. Like you don't, you can't, you can't stop for fireballs for, for 23. <laughs> like, yeah, that just doesn't happen. Yep. Um, but again, like that's kind of why I say like we, it, it's all very much like a spectrum. Like, um, where the spectrum is from aggro to control and the mid range is, you know, some part of the middle there, right? Hence the mid range, right? So like, that's uh, again, why you see a lot of these mid range decks that kind of look controlly or look aggro-y or maybe look both depending on what they're playing against. Um, Cause really like just a, a, even like the Merlin plays, right? Even the, when you talk about Ember song into erupting Rhapsody or even just a cleave that gets rid of the board, like you're trading, in the case of Ember Song, erupting Rhapsody, two cards for however many allies your opponent has, right? And if that's more than two, you generated that incremental advantage that the mid-range deck is trying to get. Um, same thing with like a cleave. If you can pay one floating memory and one card from your your own memory to get to Lorraine level two, get the bonus, and then uh, Flame Sweep or Hurricane Sweep or whatever, uh, again, that's two cards you've lost. Um, but <laughs> this, this, but you're going to draw a bunch of cards. Yeah, highlighting how obscene Lorraine level two can be. <laughs> exactly. But it, but you've spent two cards to remove some number of allies from the board and Let's then draw three. more cards. Yeah, we'll say three, which is just actually an obscene amount, yeah. right? Because now that's like what a plus. That's a plus six. That's a it's I a think? plus six minus two. So it's a it's a net gain of four cards. Yeah. That turn like you can you can hard level to Lorraine two as long as you can still sweep. Mm-hmm. You're like. I, you're still up two cards exactly. on that on that turn, yes. which is, yeah, I mean, and so nuts. yeah, yes, and so while you're, I mean, while you're controlling the board, it's like again, you're just kind of looking at that incremental advantage you're gaining over your opponent. Um, in the case of these Lorraine sweeps, it's far more than incremental. That's backbreaking, but <laughs> yeah, um, again, just kind of reinforcing that how you're trying to to transform your cards into more cards um, versus transforming your cards into damage. Um, and so we spent a lot of time talking about like aggro and, and mid range in in Grand Archive, and I think that's just because that's that's the most like experience we all have in the game so far. Like it's we haven't really seen a whole lot of hard control decks um, yet because I'm not exactly sure really what they look like. I think the the best examples we have so far are like the the Xander level threes that play into Luxum because um, those mm-hmm. get to a point where they just don't care what the opponent is doing anymore. Like the board is locked down. Like it you it doesn't matter how many allies you can play if they're just going to Luxem site recover six and Lightweaver assault kill some number of allies like it's it's so hard to push through that yeah i think i think xander level 3 has been the the most obvious control deck that's available and i i'll offer a little bit of because you you guys are here to hear something interesting i guess so let's try and include something like that uh here's my here's my like speculation as to why we haven't seen a lot of that yet. And I think it has to do with, um, as you alluded to early Taylor, the, the sort of exploratory nature of the games, like allies and, and card system. Um, not that the devs don't know what they're doing, but it's in every single TCG. The first few sets are really the devs kind of figuring out what, the boundaries for things look like and what's good and what's bad. And like, they've certainly like, and I can say from experience in testing other TCGs, you can test as much, you can test as much as you want in your internal groups and have the perfect game in your internal groups. And then it goes out to the, the players and then they play completely different decks. And sometimes those decks are way better than anything you ever thought of because there's just more people doing it, more people testing, more ideas being thrown at the wall. Um, and you over the first few sets, you just kind of figure out um, how the game works. And like, and not that it was a big game, but when we did Metacross, I was point to it when it's back here. It is a, it was a real game that really <laughs> happened. I, I swear. Um, the first two sets were pretty bad. Honestly, justice league was the first set and it was, it had some cards that are just were obscenely powerful, became the, the, um, the, the, key cards in in totally degenerate combos later on um and a bunch of stuff that was just bad and yeah like whatever 
Uh, Green Green Lantern was too reined in. It was one of those like, okay, like can't print stuff like that. So let's like really like trait lock everything and and you know had some cool stuff, but not that playable. By the time we got to set three and four, Attack on Titan was actually pretty good. Um, Batman was like an awesome set in in my opinion. I didn't like again. We're we're at the point where like three people have played that the Batman set of, of Metacross. Like, congratulations. And guys. one of them is you. And one of them is me, <laughs> but, but it was a, it was an extremely good set. Actually. We, we just figured things out. So keep that in mind, you know, grand archives hitting their set three stride here. I actually expect set four to be insane, but back to the point. Um, I think it's that control requires you to have answers to threats that are, if like correctly efficiently costed mm-hmm. and playable at the right stages of the game. And right now, like there, there is no, like to use a magic reference, there's no doom blade, like real equivalent in the game. There's none of that. No, like just efficient. Like I'm going to use this to control the board mm-hmm. because of the way grand archive works, playing cards, anything from your hand. It's like, I feel like it's hard to cost appropriately or it's hard to, with the another thing is like the like with the champions we have in the game, we didn't talk about this too much. I don't want it to be too locked into people's head that like if you go to level three, you're playing midrange control or whatever, because I think the champion abilities themselves mm-hmm. are really, really, really relevant. Um well, and we've I, already had two examples of of level three champions that we consider very aggressive in in Ryan that level three Lorraine, especially when she's in water and shooting for twelve damage over the course of that. Yeah, so. exactly. And we're we're about to get cleric, guardian, and ranger added to the mix, who are going to fall into some different archetypes. I wouldn't dare like guess exactly where they're going to land right now. Um, I see a lot of weird aggressive cleric cards. I see like a super comboy ranger kill, and I also see a super grindy ranger kill. <laughs> like I don't I don't know where it's going, um, but I think ultimately when we really start to see these control decks come into fruition is when they are going to have figured out the, the, the weaves, of the shore is going to have figured out how they want to cost or like class lock or whatever sort of stipulation they want to put on things. They're, they're removal cards that are like really effective without being really oppressive. That's mm-hmm. because like, that's the fine line. If they just printed a doom blade. It costs two reserve and it destroys target ally. Uh, I actually, I don't know. I don't know how good that is. I mean, we have, we have that in Luxem in Excalibur cleansing light in Luxem, <laughs> which is the key, right? Again, it's like, how do they class lock element lock, mm-hmm. you know, whatever this is like, yeah, you can't play that. It's a great card, but you can't play it until you're Xander level three. And Xander's issue is that he dies before he gets to level three against these aggro decks. Mm-hmm. Um, so once they kind of figure that out, you know, it's, and, and it's, it's such a fine line because control deck, control decks get oppressive when the aggro decks can't get under them. Exactly. But they get unplayable when they can't beat the mid range decks. Yes. Yep. Well, that's the thing too, is like, uh, the control decks, like where, while mid range decks are trying to generate advantages from all their cards, control decks, like they want efficient cards, so they don't necessarily need to generate an advantage with every single card. Because they're going to get to a game state where it doesn't matter how many cards you have, you just can't do anything against the control deck. Um, so like that's it requires, like you said, knowing kind of what your threats are so that you can answer them appropriately and efficiently. Um, and right now, I think the metagame is like, while it's, it's very mid-rangey at the moment um, and a little aggressive, it's also just like still, like, there's a lot of varied threats and they all require very different answers. And it's tough to kind of interchange those answers in a way that is going to like help you get control of the board in an effective way. Um, like there's cards that are really good against the fire allies that are, are, you know, really easy to take care of. Um, they're going to deal, do some damage and then you just get rid of them. Uh, but then you have to worry about rending flames, which is going to hit you for a billion, which requires other different answers. Um, you've just got kind of ally swarm decks in general, like the wind and water ones that, um, you can kind of try and control the board at some point, but again, like you've got allies that just get haste every single turn. Like they just come down and swing. So you've got to have some sort of advantage or, or some sort of answer there. You've got Rye decks that kill you with a bunch of spells 
that require like just don't interact with combat at all um so there's just a lot of different things that control decks need to account for right now and it just makes finding that right mix really difficult and i think like again the the key is that when the deck has the answers to everything is when we start to lean towards a format that gets pretty you know honestly pretty unfun pretty mm-hmm. oppressive and i think it's healthy when the control deck can't answer quite everything and i like by the way if you, like grand archive i i don't know for sure yet but i think when we get set 3 and we if these if these champions are all pretty effective to play we get that xander level 2 maybe making assassin a little more playable we pray that tamer can do something um <laughs> when we get to that stage where we've sort of maybe and maybe it'll take set 4 to like really lock things in or whatever but it's going to be a game where it'll you know, it's it predicting exactly what you're going to go up against and having the answer for it is, especially with an eight card sideboard, is going to be a Herculean task mm-hmm. um, at the best. It, it, impossible, more likely um, being the case. And and so like going in with a control deck and thinking, OK, I'm going to have the answer to this, 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 this. I'm good. I've got everything. I'm locked in for the meta. Um, I think that would actually be the sign of of well, number one, that'd probably be a different game, and also in that game, it would be a sign of mm-hmm. uh, an unhealthy meta game. Um, yeah. There should be likely some decks where you go against Rai. I'm gonna pray, <laughs> you know, like I'm just gonna, which is historically my strategy as well. <laughs> yes, it, yep. it sometimes works. <laughs> no, yeah, I think it's really healthy that you've got like different avenues of of attack against these control decks because yeah, it stops them from being really too oppressive. Um, but I, I think that's why like really we've only seen uh, Luxum really have success as a control deck um, is because when you can't answer everything, having some sort of inevitability helps because then when your opponent stumbles, you can take advantage of that and you'll end the game. Then at some point, like you don't just give them forever to, to kill you. You, you're going to, you're going to end uh, the game at some point and, and finish them off. Um, yeah. So like you alluding to set three, like we've seen the, the obelisks that the starter deck Tonerus, um generates now or summons. Um, and they all have some uh, once per turn effect, essentially, because you rest them to activate them. Um, and they get cheaper for each domain you have. Um, so like that allows some amount of ability. You're getting that advantage every single turn, and that game is going to end at some point because your your opponent's just going to run out of resources. Um, so yeah, things like that kind of help the control decks in in a, in a meta where they can't answer everything. Yeah, and and I also you know I, I don't want to say that like a control deck also is just going to you're just going to have to accept you're going to lose some matchups. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. There is there is a potential amount of play that you should be able to pack in um, against these decks, but it's it shouldn't be the it just like just to be clear, it shouldn't be the case where you go like I beat Rye because I do this, I beat Lorraine because I do this, I beat mm-hmm. Arasana because I do this, you know. But it should be like my matchup against Rye. I've got I I put a lot of tech in my deck because I expect to see a lot of Rye, so I'm pretty good there. However, because I did that, my Arasana matchup is weaker. That's what you want to see more like that kind of thing. That's like a healthy control deck metagame where you can like you can prepare for the matchups, but you aren't completely teched out against them. Mm-hmm. And I think the issue is just that until you get to level three with Luxem, Xander or whatever, I mean, like, I think there are some like Rye control ish strategies you can try playing. Mm-hmm. Um maybe they just haven't been like totally figured out and maybe someone will comment and be like, I've been playing control, right? It's really sick or something, which is like the cool or like Merlin again, Merlin can definitely play on the controller end too. Um, but Xander's just an easy one to pick on. Cause he's so like that. The Luxem Xander deck is just so controlling, so controlling, but you need to, you need to have some amount of answers before you get to that. You have to, you have to just, yeah, like you said earlier, you have to stem the bleeding. You have to have a way to do that. Um, and like, we just have been missing some of the cards that do that against the more common threats. Or you mentioned stumbling, right? Like mm-hmm. I feel like Xander, any Xander success that's happened so far outside of like the some like some of the earliest metagames when people started playing Xander and people were not playing very efficiently at that time. So let's count them as 
stumbling the whole game compared to where the game has evolved to now. Mm-hmm. Um, and myself included, by the way. It's not like you you idiots so, had no idea what you were. I had no. I I still have no idea how what we were doing. playing in the first uh, couple months after release. There, that was yeah. There was some was, plays for sure. Yeah, 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 for sure. But um, it makes sense that Xander's fallen out of favor since then, since some of those early days, because people are just more efficient with their plays now. And Xander mm-hmm. really wins games now when the opponent, Luxem Xander, wins games now when the opponent stumbles. Yep. Because that gives him the like turn he needs to actually make it to three mm-hmm. um, and like lock down the game. Otherwise, he just has trouble. So... He's, he needs a way he needs a way to not stumble all the control decks just need a way to to not require the opponent to stumble to have yeah. some sort of answer yep because yeah I mean when you we get we wrap it back around to agro now like that's that's one of the inherent advantages of playing agro is they take advantage of those stumbles extremely well um while the control decks like you know kind of bank on their opponent stumbling a little bit just in order to play the game agro decks see their opponent stumble and they win the game um there's yeah. a lot of there, there's an inherent advantage to being the aggressor and and striking first and, and you know trying to beat your opponent before they can do anything about it. I'm actually a I'm a control player at heart, um, which is not something I knew about myself until I started playing a lot of digital TCGs. Like when I when I started playing um, a ton of arena when I was streaming last year, um, I. I realized that just every single time there was an event, I was like, oh, let me just make a control deck. And um, my games took 30 minutes <laughs> to play, but I, honestly, nothing could replace the joy. I, the, I'm i sorry about this. I sound like such a, I sound like such a D-bank. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, honestly, I, I just, I just literally enjoyed so much um, getting, getting to that stage where uh, I, it's not about, it's not about the, uh, you're not going to believe me. It's not about the power dynamic or anything. <laughs> what it was about, like, I'm serious too. This, 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 um, in a few weeks ago, we had a, we had, I will, I will finish the sentence. I promise a few weeks ago, <laughs> I'm good at podcasting. A few weeks ago, we had a game against, uh, Josh, our owner of our, our store. He's, he plays fire Xander religiously. He just like, like literally I've seen him go to church wearing a fire Xander cosplay. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a, he's a, he's a fire Xander player to the end of time. And he, I had the most fun game ever because it, the game was exactly the kind of games I played on arena playing control that I really loved. I was playing Merlin, which meant I was playing either mid range or control and against fire Xander, I knew right away, okay, I'm, I'm control in this matchup. I'm not getting under him because planted explosives is just going to blow me up. That's how it, that's how it works um, in that matchup. And the game, the games come down to the wire every single time, but there's that turn. There's that turn where you have to make the decision. Like, and if you have, if you've played control decks in any game, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There is a turn where you have to make whatever context is different depending on the game, depending on the the game, whatever, but like you have to make the decision and you are either going to win or lose the game based on the outcome of your choice there. Um, Mm -hmm. And I had to do that two games in a row against him. And if I made the wrong choice, I lost the game. If I made the right choice, I took full control and then I won the game a a turn or two later. Um, And that is what I get excited about. That's like, that's the thing that really gets me like that. If you mm-hmm. want to, if you want to talk to Dan, when he's on the highest of highs playing card games, it's right after he gets out of the game where he had to make the decision and he made the right one. <laughs> like I'm, and I'm just, I'm like, this is, these are the greatest hobby of all time. Everybody should play trading <laughs> card games. Like I'm just full of adrenaline and, and it's, and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I love about control decks. Yeah, no. Surprisingly, I do believe you when when you say it's not about the power dynamic and it's about that because I also am a very much control player, and there is nothing better than getting to that decision point and making the correct decision, and you just feel like a genius. You're like, ugh, I'm so smart. It's the only <laughs> time in my this. life I get to feel like a genius. I love it's, it. <laughs> exactly. It's just it's so great. You you just you come out on top of the world. Um, but no, you. It, talking about that kind of the decision and um the fire xander josh plays 
is is not a super aggressive one like most people are are really um used to and it's also not like the controlling version that um just topped the michigan regional um that this is interesting yeah yeah oh, that's no, really cool too by the way noel and noel from chess club i think yeah. is their team name uh and him and, and pickle sort i think have been working on that um, that, that deck, deck is list sick it's very cool yeah very controlly um but yeah josh's list is not doing any of those things he's like he's very much mid-rangey he's in he's he goes to level three he has some luxem cards but he's not like he's not trying to control the board necessarily like he he still plays pretty aggressively i'm he's trying got, to think i i does he still does he still have the level three because like i know he was doing that for a while however in my last ooh, few matches against him that's a good question actually. i don't he think might, he, he might I, have I, I think he's pushed into the aggro. I think he 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 had like he had one game a few weeks, some I don't know, a couple months ago now maybe. I, I don't remember when, but like he had a game where he showed me his hand and it was like eight cards and seven were Luxem cards, <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, "I can't do this anymore." Yeah, it's no <laughs> like, good. So I think he I think he's swapped or at least he's greatly reduced that game plan because every mm-hmm. time I play him now and I played him like every week, um, it's. I don't think he even goes level two. He's just doing level one planted explosives. Like he's doing the aggro blazing throw stuff. Yes. Yep. Um, But yeah, the reason I bring it up is because it all kind of comes back down to like mid range kind of being in that situation where it can kind of play both sides. It can be aggro or it can be control. And that's kind of something you have to figure out each game uh, for yourself. Kind of like what your, what your position in the matchup is not just like your, your deck might be an aggressive deck. It might be traditionally an aggro deck, but if you're playing like wind allies and your opponent comes at you with fire Xander uh, burn stuff, they're just going to like, they're the aggressive deck. You have to stem, you have to fight them off. Like you, you have to approach that, that deck or that matchup as the control deck. Um, uh, sometimes I hate that we throw magic references in here all the time because I know not, not everybody's big into magic. Um, like we have been in the past and still kind of are, but, um, there's a famous uh, content creator uh, in the MTG space. His name is Mike Flores. He came up with an article called Who's the Beatdown? And it kind of goes into this dynamic. And it's it's just really good reading for anybody who's trying to get really competitive uh, at TCGs and really kind of hone their game and, and get to the next level. I um, will If I can find it, I'll, I'll link it in the description ooh, below. That was like, yes. I read that a long, long time ago, and it was a mm-hmm. life-changing article yes. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it just goes into how every single matchup, you've got to figure out what side of that dynamic you're on. Are you on the aggro side of the spectrum or are you on the control side of the spectrum? Um, because if you're if you're wind allies and you're up against fire Xander, you're you're not gonna outrace them. Like yeah. you're even with if you've got like perfect gildas hands, you're doing like, you know, a few damage a turn, you're you're probably maxing out at like, I don't know, seven damage a turn, which is that's good. That's a lot of damage actually. <laughs> but yep. fire aggro is just going to come at you with a lot more than that and then they're going to top it off with a rending flames for like 12 plus yeah yeah like, like every time i think i'm safe i mm-hmm. i have to, i've learned now but for a while every time i, I was like I, i've got he's has to do like 14 damage to kill me i was like <laughs> yeah. actually that's really easy to do for that's that not, i've learned it's not hard at all yeah um, um but i i yeah it's like i think it's really easy to do the thing that I have to actively stop myself from doing, mm-hmm. which is I like to I I like to sit there and I like to think, you know what? He could do 14 damage, but he probably won't. I like I'm I'm a big <laughs> probably wonter. Mm-hmm. Um and and if you also are a big probably wonter, the the you know that when you're trying to do that matchup math, you sit down and you go, okay, I'm playing Wind Alice, he playing he's playing fire Xander. You know, he he can he can go faster than me, but he probably won't. That's where you like. <laughs> that's where you do that, and you have to learn to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Like that's that is a really key thing to do to start getting better at TCGs in general. And like again, I'm saying this not as someone who is who is really good at TCGs, but who from someone who's actively struggling to push away the probably wonter in me um, and say, okay, but that usually he does <laughs> do that. So <laughs> I probably should play the control in this matchup and s- try and stop him from doing 14 damage to me. Um, it, and yeah, it's like, it's a really, really important decision that will, if, once you start making the decision correctly, it'll totally mm-hmm. change your, yes. your win rates in general against, against various decks. Once you get good at actively figuring out which side if you are you the beat down or are you on the yeah. are you the control in each matchup 
Yeah. Uh, it, actually, the whole probably probably won't thing is just a really great point too because aggro decks are they, like one of the hallmarks is that they're very consistent, or at least the good ones are. And I mean, good. That's that's kind of a throwaway thing. Like good decks in general consistently enact their game plan. Like that's why they're good. But uh, when I say aggro decks are consistent, I mean every single card in that deck is designed to do damage to you and like do a good amount of damage to you and do it efficiently. Um, so if they have, you know, five cards in hand, that's potentially like five amounts of X damage where X is higher than what an, a mid range or control deck would do from their cards. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> you really need to take a lot of that into account. And, and yeah, like you said, when you're, you're playing an instant aggro deck and you're like, oh, they probably won't. Well, all their cards do the same thing. Like they're very <laughs> redundant. They probably do. They yeah. probably do have the ability to do that much damage. I'm just, I'm just a hopeless optimist. I guess <laughs> that's my issue. Um, I before we get too far, I mean, we're we're pretty pretty close, I think, to wrapping up this up. But before we get too far, I just want to step back because um, we, I think, we talked a lot of smack about Xander earlier. At least I did. But uh, like, absolute huge credit to to noel and pickle sword for that like and whoever else was involved in the creation of that that fire xander deck because that is a just another beautiful little wrinkle in this in what we thought was for what we thought for months was like a figured out metagame and it turns out the devs did a good job and it's not mm-hmm. um and i don't want to just end this podcast with the only sentiment towards xander being he only wins when your opponents stumble i think Again, we were in our less uh, optimized versions of decks that 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 never got optimized as fast as the aggro decks did. So that certainly became the case. Um, I haven't gotten a chance to personally play that fire assassin deck yet, but uh, I I did call dibs on it uh, in our group <laughs> chat um, to play to the next one because mm-hmm. it looks really cool. Fire is really good at keeping its card momentum up, um, which is one of the issues that Xander has in trying to play control so i'm really excited to play that out but it's uh well this might be kind of shocking to you i don't know if you looked at this but there's only eight fire cards in there oh maybe Um, i didn't oh wow okay so it's i thought i did no it's it's for creative shock and for increasing danger and the reason for it is so you can play the serene spirit and and have the recover six no yeah i looked Um, at that yeah yeah, that's right it's been a it's been a couple weeks yeah i mean and granted those are those are eight cards that do definitely increase momentum and and kind of help you keep card selection up and card velocity up but uh you're you're leaning a lot on your normal as well um but no i i I like that take a lot like xander this shows exactly how flexible xander is like he's he's at both ends of the spectrum right um we've got a good control deck with him and we've got a good aggro deck with him there's probably a a playable mid-range list as well um but again kind of goes back in in showing the how how this is kind of just a circle where at some point you get too controlly that you have to be aggressive in order to go under it. Um, uh, it, it. The thing that was really interesting to me about that list, though, was that it was fire and not water. Because um, kind of, I kind of wrap up like we've got three different basic elements in Grand Archive, and um, they kind of all associate with an archetype for the most part. Your fire cards are very aggressive; they do a lot of damage, and they. Uh, push the game forward quickly. Your win cards are are very mid rangey. They're they're a little slower, but a lot of them generate advantage by themselves. They either like save your allies and give you floating memory, or they interrupt your opponent's stuff somewhat. Um, but they're all kind of generating some sort of incremental. They're they're a plus one every once in a while, or or more often than not, I should say. And your water cards are very controlling. Um, They've got a lot of things that are happening. Like you've got revitalizing cleanse. It doesn't care what your opponent's doing. It's just going to recover you some life and draw you and replace itself. Um, you've got a little bit of like disruption and chilling touch and stuff. Um, again, ha- kind of helping you stop your opponent from doing anything even. Um, mind freeze is the same thing. So you kind of, you can kind of see these, um, how these basic elements are structured and how they kind of want to like, you know, push you into a certain direction if you're building your deck with one of them. Which was why it was surprising to see the the control e Luxem Xander list with fire. Um, in this case, it works out really well because you're you're not really leaning on fire as much. You're kind of just using it to help uh, help you get to level three for the most part and keep your your hand size up. Um, and why like water Xander when in in like DOA was kind of like the control e deck. Uh, that that was the one going to level three and doing Luxem shenanigans. Um, but yeah, like you. 
they've set the 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 developers weebs have set up the basic elements really well to kind of help you figure out what direction your deck should go or what what your game plan should be based on what element you're using but despite that in this episode alone we've talked about a fire control deck water aggro deck uh wind aggro deck um, we didn't talk at all about Wind Merlin control, but that was like what what Limelight and crew were playing mm-hmm. um, at Ascent Houston. I mean, it's really the the takeaway of this is that what a game! <laughs> like honestly, no, but like honestly, like it's it's been so fun, so cool with just these two sets to watch the metagame evolve, to watch all these playable decks. Um, it would have been even cooler if Tamer was better and if Xander was a little bit better. Um, Xander's always, he's just been so close. He's just been so close. He's had a a few little moments in the spotlight um, and had a few playable aggro decks and everything, but like Tamer's just never quite been there outside of a few like kind of like early meta surprise, you know, factor decks or whatever. But like um, it's, it's remarkable, honestly, that like we have the three elements, and despite just having three elements and four champions, uh, it's a it's still a never-ending cycle of interesting archetypes where every element has certain decks that it you you've certainly seen a lot more powerful fire aggro decks than some of the other aggro decks. Um, just more of them in general because it, like you said, it's more slanted towards that, but it's totally playable to mm-hmm. play mid-range and control fire decks as well. Um, and you know, the same thing applies to wind. Rye is a, we, I, I kind of wanted to throw that one in cause that was such a cool deck that, uh, that, um, that was gas, right. Gaz was playing that. I think, um, mm-hmm. we, yeah. we called him in the last podcast. We, we called him Gitano over and over and over again. Yep. Um, which is his real name. I learned that's been pronounced fun. it correctly as well. So yep. that was great. Shout out to us, <laughs> but, um, uh, big slops to us for not realizing that was gas. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> big time. <laughs> but um, yeah, but like, it's just, it's, it's, there's so much innovation that's been possible, mm-hmm. which is why. And I, I don't know if you're playing a drinking game or something, you drink a root beer when you hear me say <laughs> this again, but I'm so excited for set three and oh, yeah. the nonsense that we're about to embark upon in this metagame of seven champions and even more playable strategies. It'd yep. be crazy. Yes. Yeah. There's there's so many different ways to kind of express yourself through deck building in this game. Um, it, the the system is very flexible, and you've got a lot of a lot of power to kind of just do what you want to do and do it well. Um, and yeah, you're right. That is that's an excellent optimistic sentiment to end on. So I think let's let's wrap it up here. Um, that's been the recollection step. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll we'll be back in two weeks with another episode uh, with another exciting topic. Bye everyone. Bye.